Hey, good afternoon. And uh, today we're going to pick it up in Colossians again in chapter 2. Last time we talked about how uh, in Him, in Christ, the fullness of the God had dwelled bodily and that we're complete in Him. And so therefore there's really no reason to be taken captive. There's no reason to go after things or ideas or false teachings or false teachers that would lead us away from Him that uh, is ultimately not only within whom the fullness of God dwells, uh, but also whom, in whom we've been made complete. We've been filled in him as well. And uh, Paul is continuing on that thought today in chapter 2, verse 11 is where we're going to pick up, where uh, we saw this idea in him a few times along the way in chapter 2 already. Well, he continues in verse 11, in him, in Christ, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, notice the past tense of these terms, that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed rulers and authorities, uh, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. And so in him, in Christ, this very central idea of being in Christ, because in him are found all of the things that we need. And here, as Paul talks about it, he's talking about the idea of our being in right relationship with God in Christ. Christ, and specifically through what he accomplished. Uh, notice here, the idea of circumcision comes forward. Now, if you're a Gentile like me, you're not a Jew, then circumcision is not necessarily a, something that is a regular part of our conversation. But to a Jew, circumcision was very, very important. It spoke of, uh, of the covenant relationship of God's people to him. It was a command given to Moses for the Jews that they might uh, ultimately uh, circumcise their, their, their newborns, uh, that they might be part of the covenant, that they might be physically, you could, you could um, sort of, there was a physical connection in this idea of them being the covenant people of God. And so Paul here talks about a circumcision, the word familiar in one context, but here he talks about it as a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then he goes on to speak about our deadness and trespass and the uncircumcision of our flesh. Let's talk about what's in view here. Again, circumcision, we understand we're talking about this is the covenant symbol of the Jews' relationship with God. Well, the audience that Paul is writing to here are not primarily Jewish. They're primarily Gentile. In other words, they are uncircumcised in flesh. In other words, they are not part of the covenant people of God. However, in Christ, we are now the covenant people of God along with the Jews. Now, there is a distinction between Jew, uh, Israel, and the church, and we're not going to muddy that. But there is something to be said for the idea that we have been, as Paul would say in Romans chapters 9 through 11, this concept of uh, the idea of being grafted into the vine. But that vine is Israel. Um, we have been grafted into the vine, but we're not the original vine. The original vine were those covenant people of God, Israel. And that's that sign of that covenant was circumcision. In the New Testament, we have a similar symbol. It's, it's called baptism. 
Uh, it is something that believers practice as a, as a means of publicly identifying with Christ before others. When we get baptized, for example, um, we get baptized openly, publicly. We get immersed in the water, representing the death of the old man, coming out of the water, rising to new life. And this becomes something we do publicly because the intention is that there would be a sense of accountability. I am identifying with Jesus. I am dying to the old self and I'm rising to life, new life in Christ as he's given it to me through his finished work on the cross. And now I'm his, and that's my way of publicly declaring it. Of course, then we go on and we share our witness and testimony as, as God gives opportunity. But in that, that, that moment of baptism, what we're doing is declaring publicly who we belong to. We're essentially something akin to that covenant sign that God had given Israel. And so there is this bringing together of these two ideas of identification into one body, the church. Gentiles who are being written to in, in the church in Colossae are part of, uh, are in a, co in a covenant relationship with God uh, through Christ in, in very similar fashion to the symbolic idea of circumcision, which talked about covenant uh, relationship with God in the Old Testament. And so um, here we see that, that um, ultimately what is accomplished in, in Christ is the idea of bringing people who are not the covenant people of God into right relationship with God in Christ. Now Paul would speak of this elsewhere, uh, in particular in Ephesians 2.14, where he talks about how uh, uh, he is our peace who has broken down the wall of enmity between Jew and Gentile, making them one in the church. And this is a great mystery, but he refers to Christ. The idea here is, is the idea that there is this, has been in the mind of God all throughout eternity past, that as uh, there was basically a distinction between Jew and Gentile, uh, and there does remain in some ways. We understand this when we talk about prophecy and God's working through his people Israel. He has made promises to his covenant people that he has yet to fulfill and will fulfill in the last days. But nonetheless, we're all saved. We're all in right relationship in terms of the forgiveness of our sins. All of us are saved the same way. Uh, we don't come through uh, Moses anymore as Gentiles, but instead we come ultimately through Christ, who is the fulfillment of all that Moses ultimately was pointing to in the law. Uh, the law and the prophets all spoke of, of Jesus. He himself said that, the, uh, you know, talking to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think it's in them that you have eternal life, but it's they that speak of me. Well, primarily what that's talking about is this constant roadmap, this trail of breadcrumbs, this scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the Old Testament, ultimately leading to a cross just outside of Jerusalem. And so here in Colossians, Paul is telling these believers that they are in right relationship with God because, uh, because of what Jesus finished. Our identification with him in baptism helps to express that, that new relationship. We're not saved by baptism, but baptism becomes a symbol. And similar to uh, circumcision's uh, Sign, covenant sign that was with it, with Israel. Um, what is being shown here, what's being uh, spoken of by Paul, is this idea that it's not the physical circumcision that saves us per se. There was this covenant relationship uh, that God had made with Israel. They were ethnically Jewishly his, uh, not ethnically Jewishly, but they were his people, Israel. Um, but you're not saved by circumcision any more than you're saved by baptism. Uh, in fact, when, when the New Testament speaks of circumcision, it speaks, as Paul does here, the circumcision not made with hands, 
And it's not a physical circumcision that is really the, the point that is of value, but rather the circumcision of the heart. Uh, this idea that there is a, a relationship with God that goes much deeper than some physical expression, whether it's uh, uh, circumcision or baptism, but rather the inner change, the inner uh, relationship that has been entered into. Um, later on in the same letter, Paul will talk about not letting anyone judge you according to holy days and all the outward observances, which you know may have an outward form of aestheticism to it, but has no real value uh, when it comes to changing a person uh, from walking in the flesh to walking in the spirit. It has no real power in that way, but rather that change of heart, that new heart that is given to us is what it's really all about. And that is what is generally in view when we're talking about a circumcision not made with hands, but rather the circumcision of Christ. Uh, in other words, that, 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 that covenant that he invites us ultimately into. And the way he did this, uh, Paul goes on to talk about in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, you were not covenant Israel, you were not part of that covenant, yet nonetheless, he has made us alive together with him. Okay? He's made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. Notice again, as I mentioned earlier, there is a past tense uh, nature to what is being said here. Uh, he has forgiven us all of our trespasses. We are forgiven now, done, it is finished. Now that's an important thing for us to understand because a lot of believers live under this constant sense that they somehow need to uh, be newly forgiven for the sins that they're committing, uh, that they're maybe have just committed or, or might commit tomorrow or something like this. I wanna be very careful here because uh, there is a, in this particular arena, there's often a fine line between the idea of grace and legalism, a misunderstanding that ultimately brings these two ideas so close together as to make them confusing. You and I as believers are fully capable of sinning after we get saved, okay? I know there are movements within the church, holiness movement and things like this that make it sound like once you're saved, you don't sin anymore. Well, whether they mean that theoretically or practically, in either case, that's wrong. I mean, we still sin. The issue is the question of when were we forgiven for that sin? Well, Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he died for our sins. And Paul here talks about how he died for our sins in the past. It's done. Well, when did Jesus die for that sin you're going to commit tomorrow? 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's done. It's finished. The debt has been paid. Knowing full well everything that we're capable of, everything we'll ever do, uh, he died for all of those sins. All of our sins were future when Jesus died. But yet knowing all things, being God in the flesh, that when he died, he paid for the sins of the world. It is done. It is finished. The ledger has been made uh, clear. It's balanced now. It's, it's, it's as it should be. That which was out of harmony has been brought back into harmony. Um, he's done it. It's finished. Now, what about the sin that we might commit tomorrow or the sin uh, you know, that we might commit today? I mean, do we, you know, do we have to ask new forgiveness for this? Well, this is where it becomes kind of a blurry thing for a lot of us, you know? 
Um, a lot of people carry guilt and shame around because they're not perfect, because they still struggle with some area of sin in their lives. And that's a real thing for a lot of people. I mean, there are people that love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, but they just don't have the strength to really walk away from that temptation when it comes. They're still in bondage and they seek the Lord and they, they pray and they try to ultimately um, live a life that is lived in victory and power, but for some reason right now they're not. And they carry the guilt and shame of that with them all the time. In no way do we want to condone a sinful lifestyle, but at the same time we want to recognize that we're not called to carry the, the guilt and shame upon our shoulders as if we were somehow still unforgiven for that. Um, we repent every moment of every day we sin. We change our mind. We change our thinking. God, I don't want to do that anymore. Repentance is not something that never ends for a Christian. But the idea that we somehow haven't been forgiven for something that we're maybe about to commit, Jesus did pay for that sin. All of our sins were future when he died for them. And so we need to understand that. We need to rest in the knowledge that you're not losing your salvation when you I hate to say fall into sin because often we don't fall into sin. We, we sadly run headlong into it. But when we commit sin, we haven't lost our salvation. But we also want to not get comfortable with that because if we really understand grace and we understand that free forgiveness that Jesus, has, it wasn't free for him obviously, but he gives to us for free that which cost him everything. If we understand just what our sin is all about, what an affront it is to God, what the fact that it, it, it took the death of Christ on the cross for that to be reconciled. When we understand that, we don't want to continue in sin. It's true that we're sin abounded, grace super abounded all the more, but that doesn't mean that we want to be okay with sin and walk in it and live in a constant offense to God. And so we struggle against it, we wrestle with it. And Paul acknowledges this struggle in Romans 7 into chapter 8. When he talks about the victory that is in Christ, it doesn't mean his sinful activities or, or, or temptations go away or his giving in to temptation goes away, but he rests in the knowledge that in spite of this, the love of Jesus never fails. It doesn't, fall sh it doesn't cover that sin. And it's that knowledge, that kindness, that love that never changes that causes us to want to walk in obedience to him. And obedience is not legalism. Obedience is the natural response of somebody who understands what it means to have been redeemed. Somebody who truly embraces grace for what it actually is. We recognize we don't want to continue to walk in those ways. And there is freedom in that knowledge. Not freedom to continue sinning, but freedom to live in loving response to the grace of God. Not in, the, not in the fear that if I don't earn that grace, somehow I'll fall short. You can't earn grace, but rather we live in response to God's grace. It is a heartbreaking thing when a, when a Christian sins. Uh, it's like the person that came to the pastor one day who was talking about God's grace and, and, and sin and all these things, and he talked about sin as being a terrible thing. And this person came up and said, well, pastor, you know, we're under grace now. You know, it's, it's different when a Christian sins. And he said, yeah, it's a lot worse. And you know, it, it is because we know better and we have a new nature that gives us the capacity for victory over the flesh and that kind of thing. When we live lives where we don't care about our sinning anymore, that's a terrible place to be. And frankly, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of un people out there that are very unsettled because they, they're sort of living in that place with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, uh, practically speaking. We don't wanna live in that place. We wanna walk with Jesus with intention, with desire, we want to come before him every day, picking up our cross, dying to self, 
giving ourselves wholly over to him. And when we do that, there's no room for the sin. We don't want to let that abide in us. We don't want to practice those things. It's difficult. Overcoming temptation is not always easy. But thankfully, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there is no sin that is not, uh, that there's no sin we're going to experience that isn't common to people. But God is gracious, and he's given us a way of escape that we might be able to stand up under it. Now, that doesn't mean that, uh, that, that there's, there's no sin that's too much for us to handle. But what the passage really talks about is that there's nothing that's too big for God to handle. And he wants us to cling to him in those times and rely on him and rest in him. And in doing that, we oftentimes find ourselves now receiving the strength to overcome sin. And so let me commend you to that, that you not be comfortable with your sin, but you also not live a life of condemnation, thinking that somehow you just need to work harder and work harder so that God will love you and forgive you. That forgiveness came at the cross. The debt has been paid. It's finished. It's paid in full. What remains now is to walk with him. As a matter of fact, even as Paul says here, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, the requirements that sin would cost us. But he took it ultimately and nailed it to the cross. And now that, that, that penalty of that sin no longer rests on our shoulders because Jesus took it all. That's the beauty and the good news of the gospel. Yes, I am sorry when I stumble and fall. I repent and I want to change my, my way of thinking about this. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to turn completely away from that thing that is uh, so easily besetting us that the author of Hebrews might say. And walk in fellowship with Jesus in a way that I don't even think about going that other way anymore. But the idea of my forgiveness is paid for, it's done. And therefore I can know that even when I stumble and I fall, that his grace is there to catch me, to cover me, to pick me up and get me back on my feet. My relationship with him is not in, in danger when I slip up, when I sin. But like that father looking for that wayward son down the road, my father thankfully is always looking for me to come back into that place of walking in concert with him and not walking in my own ways. I thank God so much for his grace and his love and his mercy toward me. It's something I don't deserve. It's something I could never earn in a million years, a million lifetimes. I could never be good enough to ever earn that. But because Jesus took my debt to the cross with him, I'm now free of it. And I live a life in response to that now. And I still stumble. I still fall. I have to keep my thought life, you know, under the you know, uh, uh, in line. I have to make sure that I don't just allow myself to, to wander and things like this. I, I don't want to go those ways because I know what it means to walk in fellowship with my Father. I hope you do too. And if you're someone who's struggling with that, with the knowledge that sometimes you have thoughts that are way off base and, and even sinful, that you still find yourself practicing things that you wish you weren't doing anymore, but you've put your trust in Jesus, but you still struggle, practically speaking, in your walk. Let me encourage you to find rest in the finished work of Christ. That term means everything. It is finished. And you're accepted in the beloved. And he will give you the strength each day as you walk with him more and more to walk away from sin. And so I hope that helps. I hope that's something that brings some comfort and some level of, of, uh, of just grounding in your relationship with him. And I'm going to pray for you right now that uh, if you struggle with that, that God would give you peace and, of course, strength to turn away from that sin that is tripping you up and keeping you from walking the way you would love to walk with Jesus. So pray with me. Father, we just want to come before you together and thank you for your grace that covers our sin. We thank you that when we fall and when we stumble, your grace is there, superabounding over it, and ultimately as a, as a, a net sort of catching us in our stumble and helping us to get back on our feet. We thank you that your love 
for us is not performance based on our part, but you loved us even while we were yet sinners, you died for our sins. So great was your love, and so great is your love. We thank you that our debt, past, present, and future was paid for at the cross once and for all, and now we can walk with you, unafraid of the judgment that we once deserved, but you took upon your own shoulders, Jesus. So help us, Father, to live in loving response to the grace that you've shown us, not fearing lest that somehow we need to earn that grace, but rather receiving that grace freely as a gift from you because Jesus paid for it at the cross. Father, we love you and thank you and pray for the strength to press on in spite of the temptations, in spite of our shortcomings and our sin. Help us each day to take up our cross, dying to self, and follow after Jesus. No turning back, the world behind us, but the cross before us. We love you and thank you, Father, and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace is a topic that oftentimes is is um, is so misunderstood. There's there's so often our propensity to try and blend legalism with it. But grace is grace. It's other than legalism. It's not the law. There's no there's no blending these ideas together, and that's the freedom of the gospel. Is that we're not fighting for victory in Christ, but we're fighting from a position of victory in Christ. We stand against sin, not in our own flesh, trying to uphold the law, but rather by the grace of God we stand. And we able we ultimately eventually learn to walk in a way that we we avoid it we stay away from it God gives us victory so press on keep pressing on and know that God's love for you never changes it's not contingent on how good you are He loves you and He sent so much that He sent His Son to pay for your sins and for mine. So I pray you find rest in that. If you have comments or questions or just want to reach out, you can always do this by putting your comments below on our YouTube channel or on our personal website at parsonspad.com. You can also email me from there or from our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And until we meet again, pray you'd spend time in the Word, you'd spend time in prayer, you'd recognize and relish and rest in the grace of God. So God bless you and we'll see you next time.